Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the providences of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God and Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, through now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that has come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told, you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Father, thank you so much that uh, you're a God who's living and a God who speaks to us, a God who wants a relationship with us. And we pray, Lord, as we hear from 1 Peter uh, now and over the next few weeks, Lord, that it'll be helpful for us as we think about our faith as Christians in the world, as we think about being the church in the world, as we think about what it means to, uh, to stand firm amidst opposition, amidst um, the, the struggles and temptations in life. I pray, Lord, today as we hear from chapter 1, Lord, that you'll, be, you'll remind us about what uh, perseverance and endurance looks like as a Christian, and we'll be encouraged and, and challenged to live that out in our lives. We do pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, so I came across a story in this uh, last week about a woman called Florence Chadwick. I don't know if any of you know who she is. Florence Chadwick is a, a, sw- a long-distance open-water swimmer, uh, and she was famous back in the 1950s. So if you're thinking 1950s, you're thinking... You're thinking when the television became really popular, you're thinking rock and roll, you're thinking about uh, a vaccine for polio. This is stuff I read on the internet this week. Uh, I wasn't born in the 50s, contrary to belief. I was, um, there was a long time ago. And 
I came across a story though, and I thought it was really quite interesting. Right? So Florence, she was known as a long-distance swimmer, uh, open sea, and one day in 1952, she decided to swim from the coast of California to Catalina Island. I don't know if you know where Catalina Island is. You might know it if you own a MacBook. Catalina Island. The distance is 26 miles, which is about 42 kilometers for us. Right? 42 kilometers swim in the open sea. Now, she isn't alone on the swim. Uh, she's got a, a boat flanking her because she's exposed to the elements, right? She's, she's out there going against choppy waters. There's possible shark attacks, possible shark-infested waters. And they're there to assist her if something goes wrong. Say she gets an injury or she gets cramps or fatigue, whatever it might be. 15 hours into swimming, which is a very long time already. I can't imagine swimming for that long, let alone 15 minutes. What happens is a thick, heavy fog sets in and it clouds her vision and her confidence. And I'm, I imagine she's probably pr feeling pretty tired, but without any sign of the coastline, the, the shoreline ahead of her, she tells her team that she just can't do it. And so she gets, she gets pulled into the boat, and she soon realizes that you know, through, the, through the fog, she was only one mile away from reaching her destination. How disappointing is that? And this is one of those stories that people will use as an inspirational type of story where, you know, if at first you don't succeed, pick yourself up and try again. But I, I think about this as a, as a Christian, and I find it to be so relevant for us as well. Don't you? Sometimes life feels like this journey where we're swimming and we're swimming and we're swimming. It's so long and it's tiring and it's exhausting. And we're, we're struggling. We're swimming against the current of today's culture. We feel nervous about the sharks that might be you know, swimming around us, not feeling safe always, for example, sharing our faith openly. There are temptations that want to drag us away. But we just want to get to that heavenly destination, that final destination, the shoreline. But the fog around us just seems so thick. At times it just feels so heavy. And sometimes it's just easier to give up, isn't it? How can we? How can we swim to that finish line as a Christian, living in this world when we feel like the fog is just too much to keep us going? For this first passage of Peter's letter today, we're going to get some answers to help us in our journey. And I want us to see how knowing who we are before God, looking forward to our destination, and three, looking back in history will help us journey through this life and be able to make it to the end, standing firm in our faith as a Christian. It's a theme that we'll keep coming back to in this letter of 1 Peter. As we unpack this first chapter of the letter, I hope that whether you've been a Christian for a while or whether uh, you're here, you're new to Christianity still, today's talk will help you see why the gospel of Jesus is at the heart of what we do. But more importantly, it will help us see who we are too. And that's, I think, where Peter starts off with. That's where he wants to point us to. If you have your Bibles, I want you to stay open at 1 Peter 1 so you can see where I'm getting um, the information from. But the intro introduction to this letter gives us some important context to help us get an understanding to the, to the background of it and who's writing it to whom, right? So it starts off chapter 1, verse 1, Peter. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles, I've got it on the screen as well, to elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Firstly, know who we are. Uh, the first thing uh, Jesus, uh, 
Peter writes for us is, is that he's an apostle of Jesus. Jesus had 12 apostles, if you didn't know, men who were close to him, who were taught directly by him, who were chosen by him and told to go out and spread Christianity to the world. Peter was one of those 12. He knew Jesus personally. And there, here he is writing a letter to, to the dispersion with Christians living scattered across these regions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia. It's the, in the ancient world, today it would be where modern-day Turkey is. So you can picture that in your mind on a map. That's where these, uh, these regions are that he's writing to. He's writing to Christians. And he calls them, what does he call them? Elect exiles. Uh, you might, in your Bible, if it's a different translation, you might say chosen exiles. That's what he means by elect you know, it's who are we? Peter calls Christians elect. He knows us. He, he's chosen us. He invites us. He calls us to himself. It really just means that God knew before time who we were and he chose us to be his. Before we chose God, God chose us. In, part, in other parts of the Bible, uh, in Ephesians 1, it speaks of how he chose us before the creation of the world even. Uh, this idea, often people feel, you know, feel uncomfortable. Oh, this sounds really controversial. He chose us first. How does he, how does he choose us? Why does he choose us? We don't, I don't know. But verse 2 helps us. It says we've been chosen by the foreknowledge of God. That, that, now, when we hear that word foreknowledge, I, 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 it, it's not just knowledge of uh, what's going to happen. It's like, uh, I know what I'm going to have for lunch later. I have knowledge of that. It's not that sort of, sort of foreknowledge here. When the Bible talks about foreknowledge, it's this knowledge where God knows us in an intimate, this, this fatherly affection. When you know someone, when that word is used in the Bible, it's this relational knowledge. For God, it's a knowledge that entails a fatherly love, a, 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 a mercy. We don't know why God chose us. I don't know why God chose me or chose some of us in the room. But he chooses us and, and it's done in mercy. That's all I know. I know I don't deserve it as much as the next person. I know he's God and I'm not. I know I'm limited in knowledge and he's infinite in knowledge. I know I, I'm not going to always know his ways. But here he says, we're God's elect. And it's through the foreknowledge of the Father, it's a foreloving that we can have faith and trust in him. We're, we're his chosen ones. So knowing that we're elect, but secondly, who are we? We're also exiles, he says. This title that Peter gives Christians is really an interesting one because what he's doing is he's taking us back to the Old Testament in the Bible uh, where God's people, Israel, they were exiled out of their homes and their land, out of the city of Jerusalem, the promised land, and they were taken to Babylon, and they were known as exiles, living in a time of exile. Uh, they, were, they were under a foreign play, under a foreign law in a foreign place with a foreign people, and Peter used that word because we all feel that sometimes, don't we? The Christian feels like an exile at times. We feel it when we walk out the doors of church each Sunday. And from Monday to Saturday, we find ourselves in and amongst our world, a world that is so different to the world in here at times, where people have values that aren't Christian, where they see money and sex and relationships and status and security and their meaning even and purpose so differently to us, where it feels like we often have to fit in with them, that group of friends, the colleagues at work, where there's this pressure to conform to society's values as if, Blending in, we want to blend in and not stand out. Where Christianity feels so countercultural at times, we're exiles. Peter wants us to know that's the title he gives us. God's people feel we feel like exiles in the world. We're going on this journey through life, and we're not always going to feel like we fit in. I know that when we're a minority in the group of people, and, and we, and as a human being, we so desperately want to belong, we'll do what it takes at times, won't we? I know in, in, our, in our weakness, we'll give in to the peer pressure. Uh, we'll look at what other people are chasing. We'll want to chase after that as well. Isn't that true? 
we so desperately want to belong to the world. I know that's me. At times, I'm tempted every day to conform to the ways of our world. Aren't we all? Yet, we've been chosen. We need to remember we've been chosen and we've been loved by God. As verse 2 says, we're also sanctified by the Spirit. We're, it's a big word. We're set apart. We're sanctified. We're set apart to belong to God. We have a life and identity that's far greater than anything this world can offer. Being in exile, I, I'd take that any day of the week if it means I know I have a relationship with the loving God, my Father, my Creator. Our lives will look different. We'll live by God's standards and, and His standards of holiness and goodness. Our friends might not get it. Our families might not get it. But we're set apart for obedience to Jesus, it says. And while that word obedience might sound like a buzzkill to some, it's actually a deep delight. It's a deep delight and joy being known and loved by God, forgiven, sprinkled by His blood, that leads us to a desire of obedience, to live out that identity, elect exiles. Isn't that true for the Christian? I know for a few hours here at church on a Sunday morning, the couple of hours I get with my Bible study group midweek, sometimes that environment, being surrounded by Christian family, it feels different, doesn't it? And the Christian knows this reality in life. The Christian who knows God and loves God and wishes to obey, their desires aren't like earthly worldly desires. For everyone's story here, before our conversion, we, we, we know what that's like. We know what it's like to live in the world, but to also know that there's something missing, isn't there? To know that there's a piece of the puzzle that, that just doesn't fit. But when we come to God, we realize we, are, we have everything we need. We're going to look different to the world around us. Nothing the world that can offer us will fill that hole in our lives. Uh, the, the, there's a really famous quote by C.S. Lewis in, in his book, Mere Christianity. It goes like this. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. It really sums up that idea perfectly, doesn't it? We're, we're exiles. We're longing for another home, our eternal home where we do belong. Now, I don't know if you picked it up too, but how cool is it that within this one verse here, we hear God described in three persons. How cool is that? We, we don't come across the word Trinity in the Bible. Peter here clearly describes Father, Son, and Spirit of God all playing a, a, a role in calling us to Himself, in our salvation, in making us who we are, giving us this new identity. Elect exiles. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, has brought us into a relationship with Himself. But there's one more statement Peter makes about who we are, and I think it's underlying what verse 3 and 4 are saying. Let me, read it, let me read verse 3 and 4 again on the screen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Peter says, by God's mercy, we've been given a new birth into a living hope. We have an inheritance, an eternal one kept in heaven for us. That language is purposeful, isn't it? It's interesting too. You, you, you might hear Christians say we're born again Christians. But there's actually, a, there's actually a redundancy in that statement. To be Christian is to be born again already. So you're not saying you're born again, born again. It's this idea that we're, but you know, it's this idea we're spiritually dead people. And, and without hope left in sin and misery, separated from God's goodness. But in God's amazing grace, he gives, he gives us a new life, a new birth. Every Christian is born again. That's, it comes with the title of being a Christian. You don't need to call yourself a born-again Christian. That's what I'm trying to say. To be a spiritually new person, okay? A new nature with, with this new birth. It comes with a new inheritance. And with that language, right? Inheritance means we're children of God. 
If you had a parent or grandparent, an auntie and uncle, when they pass away and they had a significant wealth, and I came over to your house and I received that inheritance from your relative, you'd probably want to fight me, right? You'd probably want to fight me for it. Punch me in the face, maybe. Inher inheritance is generally left for relatives. We generally, we get that idea. Peter says the inheritance is for us. We're children of God. Those who have been born again into God's family, we're God's children. Elect exiles, born again children of God. So knowing who we are before God, this identity he's given to us, that we know him as our father, loved by him through the spirit in Christ, doesn't that just give us assurance and confidence? Doesn't that give us assurance to, to keep on swimming the, the race because we know who we are? To persevere in this life, to endure as exiles, anticipating that eternal home that is to come. I know we don't think about it much. I know when, when people ask you, who, who are you? We describe ourselves by our professions usually, our roles in life, what we do. We identify ourselves as teachers or scientists or as doctors or as engineers, electricians, whatever. But we all know those titles are just temporary, aren't they? It might be your role for a period of your life, but it's not who you are as a person. You're far more than your profession or hobby even. But it would come across, I know, it would come across as odd, isn't it, to tell someone you're an elect exile, children of God. That would be strange. But we need to embrace that spiritual identity. Knowing who we are will shape what we do and how we live. You know, it's easy when we come to church. You're my brother or sister in Christ. That's an easy thing to say. Outside of these four walls, it, it might be difficult. But don't, don't stop that. No, don't stop knowing who you are. Knowing who you are before God. That, that, that privilege that we have, that we get to be called children of God. It's the highest status in our world. It's better than any professional role that you'll have in this world because it's going to last into eternity. Start with knowing who you are. Let that shape how you persevere. Secondly, look forward to our destination. Look forward to the destination with the living hope we have in Christ. Again, I'll pick it up from verse 3 because we'll, we'll run from verse 3 to 9. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fail, fa fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Friends, we have this hope that we, we get to hold on to, this eternal hope, this living hope, the salvation of our souls, that's our inheritance. We often say as Christians, there's a now and not yet. Now we have Jesus. We have a hope that's in this life that's solid and firm. And, and, we, and you've got to think about this. In, in other religions and faiths, as deep and as, as, as wise as they might be, in other religions, all fall back on the reality that the hope that we have is actually ultimately dependent on how well you perform. Isn't that true? Depending on how moralistic and altruistic and how many good works you can achieve in this life. But Christianity tells us we have a living hope. It's external to us. It's in Jesus who died and was raised from the dead. By his grace and through faith, our precious faith in him, we're saved. Our hope is, not, is, is in Christ, not in our abilities. And so as we journey through life, 
firm in faith. We need to look forward to what awaits us. There is a heavenly home where all wrongs will be made right, where all our imperfections and flaws will be made perfect, where there'll be no longer pain or heartache. That's the inheritance of eternal life Jesus has secured for us, that we get through faithfully following our risen Savior in obedience, one that won't fade or spoil or perish like any other earthly inheritance that we, that we might receive in this life. I remember reading last year in pop news, it was popular pop culture news, uh, Jackie Chan, the actor and martial artist, he was in the news last year because he was interviewed and he said he wouldn't leave any of his $400 million fortune to his son. And he was quoted saying, if he's capable, he'll make his own money. If he isn't, he'll just waste mine. Right? That's a fair call, I say. I mean, but I'd be pretty devo. If I was his son, I'd be pretty devo that I don't get a touch. You know, like, that's a lot of money. That would you know, set you up for life. As nice as, in, as that inheritance would be, money itself comes and goes, doesn't it? It gets squandered and, and death itself will rob us of it. But friends, as, as, church, as, as, as Christians, as the church, we need to look forward. We have an eternal inheritance, one that will never perish, spoil or fade. That eternal life that God has given us. And so Peter wants us to, as we look forward, cling to our faith that is more precious than gold. See your faith as the most valuable thing you have. The, the faith you have in Jesus, protected at all costs. You know, it's that question that you get asked, you know, if, you, if your house was burning down, what would you take with you? Photo albums, your phone, that heirloom, necklace that's been in the family for generations. You know, one day all that stuff, it'll, it'll pass away. It'll burn up in the fire, right? All the good things we enjoy in this life. But your faith, verse 7 tells us, when we go through life as exiles in this world, when as God's people will face opposition, when we'll suffer many trials, when we'll feel left out or ridiculed or mocked even at times, when people might be hostile towards you because you're a Christian, when sometimes the world feels like it's on fire, Peter gets it. Hold on to that precious faith. Treasure it above all else because only faith will remain once all passes away. That faith results in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Hold on to that faith because it'll be, worth, it'll be worth it when we meet Jesus. In a recent podcast interview with uh, Jackie Hill Perry, she's an uh, author and preacher in the U.S., she says this, there is a coming a day when Jesus will be revealed and He's our living hope. You're not wasting your time loving God. You're not wasting your time trying to be present in your local community or serving your church. You're not wasting your time breaking up with this person because they're leading you into sin. You're not wasting your time. If God is real, if Jesus is Lord, and if He's coming back and will be revealed one day, it is worth loving someone that you cannot see, believing someone that you cannot see, because one day you will see Him. And it will make everything make sense when we do. She's saying it's worth it. He's worth it. Haven't you found that already in your life? You know, as we, as we go through hardships in our life, as we go through trials and tribulations, through holding on to God in faith, it's a refining process, isn't it? But through it all, we can see even more precious how, how precious it is. Our faith, how precious our faith in Jesus is. So for today and tomorrow and the next day and the many years to come, let that precious faith in Jesus, in our living hope and future inheritance, let that empower you. Let it shape your life. Let it be your rock and anchor when sufferings and hardships and temptations come our way. Rejoice, it says. Rejoice knowing that it'll only be for a little while. Life is short. Rejoice knowing that the shoreline is just up ahead. Keep swimming. You'll feel tired at times. You'll get cramps. You'll feel like giving up. But God is with us. 
We're told his power will guard our faith. He who chose us will see it through to the end. We can't lose our salvation if we're his elect, if we're his children. So while, while the fog sets in and it'll be thick and heavy, it might discourage us in the journey forward, look forward. There'll be a day when we'll be exiles no more. We'll be home. But lastly, let's look back in history. Remember the cross of Christ, his sufferings, his, the glories that will follow. It's what the prophets prophesied about. Verse 10 says this. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Peter tells us to, to look back in history to the prophets who were waiting for this Messiah to come. This is Old Testament stuff again. We've got records of it in our Bible, in the scriptures, the, the, the prophets that were talking about a Savior who will come, the Messiah who will rescue God's people. We know who that Messiah is. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, our Savior who brings salvation and brings us to God. You know, it, it's, a, it's a funny thing. We might feel God is this in, invisible being. People say that he's the... the the, the purple spaghetti monster, you know, people who mock us will say that. But we know who God is. God came in the person of Jesus. Jesus came into history, into our world to be a man. He was God with us. He was tangible. We know God through the person of Christ, the one who came and suffered and died to bring us life, the one who reconciled us with God, restored that relationship with him. He met our greatest need. See what Peter is saying here. Those prophets spoke about these things. They had no idea what it was coming to, when it was going to come to pass. They had no idea that it would be met in Jesus. They hadn't met him yet. It was years, hundred years, hundreds of years before Jesus that they made those prophecies. But we can look back, can't we? We can look back and we can see that everything has gone according to plan. And when life is still a struggle and we feel directionless and lost, when we feel God is distant or we, or we doubt his goodness, when we feel like we don't have the strength to keep on going, when the circumstances are challenging, look back and see everything is going according to plan. Everything the prophets said hundreds of years before Jesus was, was to point us to him. Matthew 13 verse 16, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says this, But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. You see, the prophets that were given visions and prophecies from God, and it wasn't for their benefit, but it was for the benefit of you and I. So we can see that He is the fulfillment. He is the answer to the world's problems. He is the one who gives uh, purpose, meaning, joy, and freedom. He's the one who is our Savior, our Messiah, the King, our Christ. Yes, the way forward will be at times foggy. Each step might seem uncertain, but when we look back, we can see the map has already been drawn for us. It might not be easy. And our future destination is sure. Friends, we can be secure as we know who we are, as we look forward and as we look back. Peter starts off with that encouragement as we journey through this life. Our faith isn't simply a shallow belief in something that changes with the seasons like shifting sands. Our faith is in the Messiah Jesus. It's the object of our faith that matters. It's God who gives us a new identity. It's him who secures our future eternal inheritance, guiding our faith, sustaining our faith. And so my encouragement to us, church, and to, and to my own heart as we venture through life is to make Jesus our greatest treasure in life. 
to know that our, how precious this faith that we've been gifted with is. Let him be so big in our lives so that everything else pales in comparison. Let him be your foundation. Let him be your anchor as you face the waves and storms of life, your, your tower defense against the slings and arrows of troubles and trials in life. May he be our treasure and joy that overflows so that we can rejoice whatever comes our way. Loving Jesus, that's so, uh, it's at the heart of what we do here at Providence. Loving Jesus, standing firm in our faith in Christ. I mentioned Florence Chadwick earlier and her swim in the open sea from California to Catalina Island. She must have felt so much disappointment knowing she gave up when she was so close to her destination. But she didn't give up. She did it again. She swam the whole 42 kilometers. And again, as she was swimming, the fog was heavy and dense, and she couldn't see the shoreline ahead of her. Yet this time she made it. She made it across. She went the distance. And it was reported in an interview that she, she said what helped her to make it to her destination this time was envisioning the destination in mind, that shoreline that was ahead of her. She pictured the coastline of Catalina Island, and so she swam and she swam and she swam. And friends, isn't that the Christian journey for us? Sometimes it's hard, but we need and have our God. We have a God to pray to. We have our, ch- our church to talk to, to spur each other on, to remind us of who we are in Christ. We have the scriptures where we can look back to see how God has worked in history at the cross. And we can look forward, keeping in mind that vision of the heavenly inheritance, our future salvation and glory. There'll be a day when we will finally be at home. We will be in the arms, received in the arms of our loving Father. Where we won't be exiles no longer. But remain firm in your faith in Christ as you look forward to that heavenly reality. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for Christ that through him we have that future eternal inheritance, that through him we have an anchor for our souls, that through him we have a living hope in this life. Lord, help us as we, as we journey through life, there are times when it's hard, when at times when it feels like there are uh, so many struggles and temptations around us, there's so much peer pressure to, to just blend in and to fit in with the world around us. Help us to, to anchor ourselves in Christ, to see, look forward to our destination and to look back and to see how you've already worked in history. Help us to know who we are before you, Lord, and help, uh, help us uh, to, to endure and persevere in this life as one of yours. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.